Hi there and welcome. You're listening to Animals and Us, Voices of a New Paradigm. My name is Avantika and I'm a researcher exploring animal consciousness, environmental sustainability, and planetary health. I want to help bring animal perspectives to the table and transform our relationship with the natural world. And I'm Barbara. I'm an animal communicator and retired veterinarian. My true passion is exploring the hearts and souls of animals and helping people come to a much deeper understanding of who the animals truly are at their core. This podcast is for anyone who loves animals and nature and has an interest in their own personal and spiritual development. We'll bring you powerful conversations with fascinating people about animal and nature sentience, consciousness, and communication. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey of love, respect, understanding, and care for the fellow beings who share our beautiful Mother Earth with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Animals and Us, Voices of a New Paradigm. I'm super excited today to introduce you to our guest, Laura Appleman. I've known Laura for, what is it, maybe about a year now, more or less, and um, I've had the opportunity to work with her on the symposium that you guys have heard about already that happened in May earlier this year, and uh, Laura worked with us as an advisor, as someone who has uh, experience with animal communication, and it was such a blast, Laura. It was so much fun working together and getting to know you. We had calls at like random times of the day (laughs) about all sorts of logistical things. And it was just such a pleasure getting to know you and working with you. Just to tell you guys a little bit about Laura, she has a background in laboratory sciences and she's worked in hospitals and environmental facilities for many years now. But on the side, she also does energy healing. She's done dog training And today we're going to talk to her about her journey with animal communication specifically. Um, Laura has also done training in human and animal Reiki. And her goal is really to help people who are looking for a deeper connection with their animals or who want to get to understand their animals in a deeper way. She helps to facilitate that process. And she really focuses on listening to both the animals as well as their human companions without judgment and to facilitate that process as gently as possible. And she specializes in health and wellness, and we're gonna get into this today because with her background in the healthcare industry and with her own personal experiences that have kind of prompted her and um, you know helped her navigate through this animal communication journey, we have lots to talk about today when it comes to healthcare and looking after our animal companions. So really happy to have you here, Laura. This has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for so long. So the time has finally come. Welcome. Thank you so much. And let's just get started. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you found your way to animal communication and how this whole journey started for you. So this is pretty interesting. I wasn't actually specifically looking for animal communication. In fact, I was super left-brained. I went into a very analytical field 
um, where I was constantly working with numbers and analytics, um, very detail oriented. Um, did not do any type of right-brained activities at all, at all. Um, and I knew about animal communication and I never doubted it exists. I think that was the thing for me. I never really doubted that that was possible, but I didn't really know how it worked. And I worked with a woman whose aunt was an animal communicator. And she had told me that she talks to the animals over the phones and admittedly, I didn't get it. So I said, so does, does she hold the phone to the animal's ear then? Or how is she talking to them? I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward many years later, I had um, a dog in our home that was very aggressive with some of our other dogs. And I didn't, I was at the time I was studying dog training, but I felt like I really needed an animal communicator to connect with him. Like I didn't know if I was understanding him properly. And I used an animal communicator to figure out that he he actually wanted to be in a different home. Uh, we had oh, okay. we had a lot of other dogs here, and it was just really overstimulating for him. Um, so he did actually want a quieter home, and that was very helpful for me because I had said whatever he wants, like if mm -hmm. he wants a trainer, if he wants whatever, we'll do that for him. Um, and randomly, when I was studying dog training, a lady I knew who was a Reiki master sent me a picture of her dog and said, what do you get from him? And I didn't know what she was asking me. I didn't. And I, I actually responded to her. I don't know what you're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, first of all. And I don't really know what you want from me because I don't talk to animals. And she said, no, you do just wow. give it a, tr just give it a try. And I was like super annoyed. And I remember thinking this lady, I have no idea what she's asking of me. And I was just really kind of upset about it. So I sat there and I focused for a minute and I can't even remember what I responded to her, but she goes, yes, that's very accurate. And it was just mm -hmm. like a one sentence answer. And then I thought, huh, well, maybe I do kind of know how to do this, even though I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And that was when I actually started to shift from studying dog training to studying animal communication um, to learn more about it, because I, I really had no idea how it worked, or even if it was something that I would enjoy. And I think the more I learned, the more fascinated I was, I guess I didn't know how animals would talk. Mm -hmm. I thought yeah. maybe I thought maybe they would I don't know have like a simple conversation uh -huh. or be like yes me love food or something like that you know what yeah. I mean almost. yeah but mm -hmm. it's so much deeper yeah than that and some are very philosophical they understand mm -hmm. life at such a deep level um but I I have to admit like when I started there was some major challenges uh, with starting animal communication. And um, there was multiple times that I actually thought, I think this is too much for me. Mm -hmm. I, th I think I, I think I don't want to do this anymore, especially, I think what's really hard is when you're very left brained, and you're trying to learn a different way of doing things. Because when I was really left brained, um, 
I wanted to control everything. And I almost treated learning animal communication the same way I would like doing a math problem mm -hmm. or something at work where I would just sit down and do it. And that's not really how animal communication works. I would almost try and force myself uh, into the communication um, instead of, and I didn't really enjoy the process at first because I was almost trying to force it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, there was some major challenges for me with that, I would say with uh, trying to transition into that way of working for sure. And, and how long ago was that that you started learning? It was about five years ago Okay. Um, that I started. And initially, I would be amazed if I could get a sentence yeah. of information. I mean, yeah. I, would, I was really pleased with myself yeah. if I could get a sentence. <laughs> it was sentence. a win. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, anything was a win at that point. And I sometimes... I think the hardest thing for me was they would say, well, you need to quiet your mind. And I didn't know mm -hmm. what the heck that meant. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if that meant I completely emptied my brain mm -hmm. and there was just nothing going on in there. And what I found myself doing is if I looked at a picture of an animal that I would almost like analyze the picture to death to look for some clue okay. to tell me as to yeah. what was going on with the animal. Um, so rather than being in a receiving state and letting mm. the information come in, I was like reaching for information and hoping like somehow I would catch it right. uh, flying through the air, right. essentially. Right. Um, and that was a big transition uh, for me, along with the fact that I was taught various rituals, I would say, for mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I think when you're starting, that's very helpful. It gives you something to hold on to. It gives mm -hmm. you something to to try. But when you take it too far, because I was left-brained, um, so overanalyzing everything, when you take it too far, it becomes what I would call magical thinking where you can only connect hmm. if you go through, and if they gave me like five rituals, I would do all five. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that must up my probability of making right. it successful, right? Yeah. So I would spend half a day preparing to do a communication and really being stressed out about it because I was trying to do all the things mm -hmm to make it happen rather than um, just realizing it was, it was possible. And it was one yeah. of the things that really changed that for me is because I would get so stressed out if I would set down to do a communication is instead of setting down to do the communication, I would look at the picture of the animal and hold the questions I had in my mind and go about my day. Okay, interesting. And it kind of, because sometimes when you try too hard, it creates resistance. And that's right. what I was doing. I was right. trying so hard, but a lot of times, and I've even had people tell me that who don't practice animal communication, that hear animals or get impressions. And I'll say to them, but what were you doing when that happened? You weren't thinking mm. about it. It just happened. Right. And sometimes that's the problem as we get in our own way and if we 
find ways to release that resistance, then the information can come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found that too, when I first started learning, um, the very first kind of workshop that I took, there was a lot of that as well. There was like, you have to do this and you have to clear your chakras and then you got to say this. And then you got, yeah, like, there's just, yeah. it was so, um, methodical and I think I just got so caught up feeling like well I can't even like I couldn't even do that consistently that was kind of demotivating for me because um I couldn't I couldn't do it with that level of consistency that I guess they were telling me I needed to whereas then the second workshop that I took was with the teacher that had a completely different style and she was just like you know like as if taking you to a swimming pool and just throwing you in the deep end. And she's like, you're going to learn how to swim, go. <laughs> and that, and her approach was completely different. And yeah, of course she said, you know, there are things you're going to find as you start practicing that help you, that um, they'll just become part of your routine, right? And so, but I'm not going to tell you what those things need to be you I'll give you some ideas but you can find your own way there and then build that practice for yourself and I just found you know she had so much faith in us just through intention you know Mm -hmm. just through just through doing some really basic things that you know you don't have to do all these rituals to 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 connect and communicate and um, I found those were the times that I got like the received the most you know, information clearly was when I wasn't trying so hard. And when I wasn't, you know, thinking I had to do these 10 things before I sit down and communicate, it was just like, I'm going to have a conversation and see what comes in. And, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that process. Cause I would love, I would love for you to share with, with us more about those blocks and like what you found helped you, because I think, a lot of us, at least when we're starting to hear about animal communication, learn about it, we're, we're trying to get better and we're trying to experiment yeah. and practice. But before we even get there, you, you shared something that um, that was interesting to me and it resonated because I felt the same way when I first heard about animal communication was that even though you hadn't heard about it before, you didn't think it was untrue. You know, and even though you had such a left brain, and I think we've talked a little bit about this before in our conversations, like, what was it that you were like, yeah, this is true. Like, I don't doubt this at all. I think because at the time that I was learning it, I already had eight dogs and I felt a real connection to them. And I always felt like, even though I was super left brained, I felt like they were having conversations. And I think this is where when I started studying animal community or not animal communication, dog training, that I was like, something's missing. Mm-hmm. Because when you do dog training, you work with um, body posture, different cues. And then they'll talk about vocalization being their form of communication. And I'm like, right. but I think there's something missing. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing dog training, I would get really distracted And I would find myself, even before I knew animal communication, I would try to listen to them if I was training one dog. And then I started training another one. And this one found this exercise really easy, but this one doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I would think, I wish I knew why this Mm -hmm. exercise was so difficult. 
not that they're, I'm not calling them like dumb or anything. Like yeah, I don't yeah. understand what I'm doing right. that isn't communicating well to them. And I wish I had a better way to do that form of communication. Yeah. Well, Cause and a then, lot of dog training is like, you do the same thing with every dog. Yeah. And I've yeah. always wondered like, how is that? You know, it's like saying that you can teach every child the same way, or you can parent yeah. every child the same way, which just can't be true. So that's, of course, there will be differences in how they respond and react. And it was interesting. I had some dogs that I worked with who I needed to respond and I had to do like rapid fire treats, mm. like everything had to move really fast. And other ones, they didn't care about the treats, like they would just lay down and then they didn't want any treats. So just even in the few that I worked with, I was trying to navigate those differences. And I thought these animals are so different and their personalities are so different, mm -hmm. even though we're going over the exact same exercise. Right. And that was really fascinating to me. And I think it, it was almost like it showed up at the perfect time mm -hmm. because I, I really wanted the whole reason I went into dog training is I thought there's a lot of dogs that get rehomed because I think people don't understand them. Mm -hmm. And my whole goal in doing this was to figure out if, is there a way that I can help them stay in their home? Is there a way that like somebody could understand them? And then when I found animal communication, I realized, oh, I don't have to limit it to dogs. Mm -hmm. You know, I can help all different kind of people, uh, different animals that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to help. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my initial motivation um, behind learning animal communication. Um, and also when I was young, I had this really weird, my sister had horses and I was terrified of them. I always thought they could read my mind. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I never rode them because they would take me under trees and down into gullies. And I was like, these horses know I'm scared. You know, they're, <laughs> they're doing everything in their power to, to scare me. And that may be not be true, but at the time I was absolutely certain they, they could feel my fear. Mm -hmm. and, and now I start to understand how those feelings transfer back and forth. So mm -hmm. I always kind of had these impressions, mm -hmm. even though I was really left brained that maybe this was a possibility, even though I really didn't know, maybe animal communication was always a thing. Mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, um, for me, I know when I first heard about it, I was like, well, yeah, of course, <laughs> you know, why, why, why is that not a possibility? You know, like, wait a minute, why why, why is, why should my initial reaction be like, oh, that's not possible? You know, it's just because I haven't experienced it. Is it because we're not taught that yeah. we can communicate with them? So, yeah. So it's, it's always interesting when, when people say, when people react that way, you know, because a lot, a lot of people don't react that way. You know, they'll be like, what are you talking about? You know, animals can talk. What does that even mean? So now tell us, um, so now fast forwarding a bit, and you, you were starting to talk about this, the actual process of learning. And, and the reason I want to talk about this is because I, I, when I heard you talk about the challenges you went through and how you really struggled, you persisted, you know, and you kept going. And I really admire that because it's hard, especially when you're, you feel like you're hitting roadblock after roadblock and you're not making progress. 
to still keep going. And so when you were learning how to do this, it means you had this conviction that you wanted to learn how to do this and that, you know, you could, you could get there. So tell us about what that was like, what motivated you to keep going and what can you share with other people out there who maybe have tried communicating with animals or trees and plants any other beings and have not been that su successful or don't know if they've been successful? So I think there's a couple of things that come up for me. Um, first and foremost, I think for me, learning animal communication was a big part of, of healing for myself. And so I think one of the most difficult things about animal communication was it involved a lot of self-reflection. And so if I was hitting a roadblock, and this is the whole thing, and I hope people understand this, whenever you learn something, it's not a steady climb. It'd be wonderful if it was, but it never is. And sometimes when I thought I was doing the worst, something was changing. There was, I was either like growing in a big way, but it just didn't seem like it at that time or something was changing. So when I originally started, I didn't know how Claire's worked and people explained them to me and I still didn't get them, but I was primarily clairsentient and claircognizance, which means I had, I could feel a lot. And I also had kind of clear knowing I would know things, but I didn't know why I knew them. And those kind of work together. They come together. But at some point, I became clairaudient. So there was a huge shift over where now I primarily hear the spoken word. That's not the way it always was, but that wasn't. And, you know, as you grow, your clairs also develop. So there was a lot of times when people would talk about seeing images. And I thought when they were seeing an image, they saw like, like if I looked at a picture on the wall. And I didn't realize the image would sometimes be there for a second mm -hmm. and then it would disappear. So then at one point I was like, oh, I get that too. I guess I yeah. just didn't know I was getting it. And it's like in your mind, not so much like, right. you know, you can see it in front of you. Exactly. Yeah, like it's very and subtle. So, yeah. Yes. And so I would go through times where, um, I did a lot of, I did a lot of online practice and the, this is good and bad. Um, there's some really good online forums that are monitored that are really good to practice on. I worked on a lot of unmonitored sites. Um, okay. And I think what happens with that is people will ask you to do things that maybe you wouldn't do as an animal communicator. Or okay. might ask for very specific things. Like even now, like sometimes people will say, I want to know if they like or dislike something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things aren't that easy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not yes or no. Sometimes it's, well, this is different. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so sometimes you would get pushed in a direction that you thought you were supposed to go. And I had a lot of trouble with this because I would do this and people would respond in very harsh ways yeah. and it was very detrimental because the minute I 
sent the information on one of those I was already like oh my god yeah you know nerve-wracking <laughs> yeah and and you think everybody is looking over what you said and somehow judging mm -hmm. that and I realize now it's it's just not that deep mm -hmm. it just isn't you know so I think if I would have back then explored animal communication with a sense of curiosity mm -hmm. like I wonder what I can get mm -hmm. rather than I hope I get this I hope I get this I hope I get this and I'm going to be right. so upset if I don't right that would have been a very different shift yeah. for me and I will say I almost quit 50 million times and almost every time I quit somebody would come along who I had communicated with their animals six weeks ago, three months ago, a year and a half ago. And they would say, I just wanted to let you know how good we're doing every time. I mean, the message would come. And then I would think, okay, if I helped that one person, then I, I'll keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also along that same line, um, it was about three years ago. Um, Within a two-week time period, I had four dogs diagnosed with major health conditions, three of which were fatal, and one that was going to require lifelong maintenance. And I realized at that point, it, the pressure was on at that point. Like, I realized I needed to understand them, what they needed. And at that point, too, I was still... I wouldn't just sit down and have a conversation like I am with you. Mm -hmm. I would have booked a time with them and really cleared my mind and prepared and, and gone through that process. But that, that made it feel very urgent to me that I, I could hear them, that I could understand them um, to work through those things. So that was a big, a big motivator for me, but what I think I didn't do, and I wish I would have done that it's okay to take a break. You know, I really pushed myself, I was afraid if I took too long of a break, I wouldn't come back kind of like the workout equipment that ends up in your basement. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I was just worried that if I left too long, it would be hard for me to return. Right. And right. what I actually found was when I took a break from it, and I came back, even if that was a week, I would, I would do much better hmm. because I, I let myself, especially if life was busy or whatever, I wasn't trying to force this into place. I wasn't trying to, to make this happen. I, I gave myself that, that grace. And I think also what's hard is if you take animal communications courses, maybe they say you're going to be a professional in a year or whatever. Mm-hmm this isn't a math course. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You know, we aren't getting a certification. We are maybe through the course, but you have to let your skills kind of develop over time. And that might not happen in a year. You might have all the information, mm -hmm. but I think I felt the pressure like, oh, yep, I'm on this time frame. I got to keep moving. You know, this is happening, whatever. And again, I think if I would have had that grace to say, know if I'm quite ready for that you know I think I'm just going to take a step back I'm going to enjoy where I'm at 
that would have been a very different place for me than to keep pushing to the next step. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. That's all really good advice. Like I, I'm, you know, I heard you say that going into all of this with the sense of curiosity is important that knowing your why is important that can keep you going um, through all the ups and downs and making sure that um, I think sometimes we, it's easy for us to go into this with a bit of a savior complex. You want to, and, and I've, I've been there and I've heard other people say that too, that they, they're doing this because they want to help the animals. But I think recognizing, like you said, the amount of self-reflection and self-healing and that, 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 that needs to happen in order for you to progress and in order for you to be a clear channel for communication, I think is, is important for people to, to recognize. And it's not, a, and therefore it's not a linear process at all. And, you know, one of the things that came up for me and that made me very difficult, it's really weird. Like things will happen in your life and you're like, I'm over that. I've, I've dealt with that. I had a really hard time learning to read really difficult time. I actually didn't yeah. learn to read well until I was in high school. Yeah. And that was one of the things that when I started learning animal communication, that this whole feeling of almost not being good enough, not learning fast enough came back for me. Yeah. And so that's also where I talk about like self-reflection. If you're being really hard on yourself, why? You know, mm. what, what part of that, is there something underlying there that you haven't dealt with that needs to be dealt mm -hmm. with? And that's where that was also really part of my, my healing process too, is kind of like the animals will, at least for me, if I was really stuck on something would almost shine like a big neon sign on it, like get it together <laughs> here you know, work yeah. on this problem or we're just going to keep staying here. And then I would be like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. And I would always think, oh, this person's pushing me too hard or it's the coach or it's the blah, 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 you know, but it, it would, it really came back to where I was mm -hmm. and what, what I needed to do to move through the problem. Yeah. Wonderful. And then eventually you went on to start offering the service prof professionally to people. So tell us a little bit about that kind of transition. Like, did it happen very gradually? When, when did you know, or when did you realize that a, you know, you were ready to offer this service professionally to people and also b that that was something you wanted to do? I really had always wanted to help people. So I don't think that was a doubt in my mind. But I didn't really know how to begin. Um, I actually mentored under a woman that kind of helped me begin the process because I'm super introverted. Um, yeah. So for me, when I wanted to start offering professional services, nobody even knew I did this. Right. Like in so, you, like in your personal life, like in your. Right. Yeah. And I worked yeah. with obviously a lot of left-brained people that I thought no one is going to buy this. Yeah. Like I'm going to be the biggest weirdo here, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was really even nervous to talk about it. And I think I made a post on Facebook about it. And you know, the whole thing, this is where I talk about things not being really that deep. 
the people that didn't get it never said anything to me, never said a word, just pretended it didn't exist. And the people that were really interested in it came and asked me more questions. I had this fear of being horribly ridiculed or something or worse. I was feeling a little shaky still. What if somebody I knew came and asked me to communicate with their animal? That mm -hmm. was the most terrifying thing to me. Cause if I didn't really know the person and something didn't go well, well, I could just, it would be just be fine. You know, we would just part ways, yeah. but if I knew them, oh my gosh, that'd be so embarrassing. But you know, a lot of these fears that I had never came true. Like none of them ever really happened. And I slowly transitioned into kind of making Facebook posts about it. Um, eventually started just a business page about it where people kind of followed me over. Um, but I do this very part-time. So I never created a mailing list or a following list. And I think when I first started working professionally, I really tried to be something I wasn't. I really thought, oh, you go through the certification course and then you're supposed to become like a bigger name. And the way that you do that is through online marketing. And then I started trying to learn about online marketing and that felt very stressful to me mm -hmm. as well too. That's a whole other skill set. And it took me almost a year before I realized, because people would say things like, well, maybe it just bothers you because your confidence isn't up yet. And I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe that's true, you know? And then I would kind of explore that avenue. No, that doesn't seem right. And then um, people would say, well, you just haven't done this long enough. And that's why you feel kind of shaky. Okay, maybe that's it. I'll, I'll explore that avenue. And then at some point I realized I because I was always told to charge more, charge more, charge more, mm. charge bigger amounts, whatever. And that never really, I grew up very poor and I actually live in the poorest county in Wisconsin. And so I think I grew up around a lot of people who lived paycheck to paycheck, that if you charged $300 a session, they would never get one mm -hmm. ever. And it took me some time to reflect on really who I wanted to be in this industry. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I wanted to be somebody who the little I had worked with people, what I found with people sometimes just needed somebody to listen. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't always about the communication. They just needed somebody to hear them who wasn't judging them. Um, and just let them kind of express those emotions that were attached to their animal. And I realized at that point, for me, it felt much better to keep my prices lower. And I wanted to work with what I would consider to be kind of the average person, maybe somebody who was just learning about animal communication because I had always had this saying in my head and I didn't know what it meant was bridge the gap. And I didn't know where that came from or what that really meant until I decided to work the way I work now, which is um, I really try 
to help people at a very reasonable price. I tried a lot. I work with a lot of people that have never had animal communications before. They're just kind of dabbling with the idea. Um, and they're just kind of entering in to the idea of it. And because of where I'm priced and how I work, it allows me to introduce them to that idea without it being scary or out there or, whoa, that's way too much. I'm not paying that. Um, and I really realized that's my place. That's where I'm supposed to work because I still have a full-time job. So I, I still do this part-time, but it allows me to work the way I want to work, um, to be able to spend the amount of time I want to with people. Um, and I always thought like being the big name was, was what I wanted, but I'm, I'm a very private person. You know, so this, this allows me to work. The way, and I always say the people that need me, find me. I sometimes mm -hmm. have no idea how people found me, but they do, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that in itself is, is impressive, mm -hmm. you know? Cause then I'm like, well, that, that person is supposed to be here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, is I think it's also a testament to living in alignment and doing what feels right. Because I think if you continue to push in those other areas where you were feeling resistance, I'm not sure if you would have reached the, you know, not just success, but just whatever it was you were looking for, that feeling of fulfill fulfillment. My guess is it probably wouldn't have come from there. I think those feelings only come when we are in alignment with what feels right to us. And that's very true. I was feeling very stressed all the time. And I remember actually before I switched to working very differently, I was telling a friend, either I have to work differently or I have to quit. Those are mm -hmm. the only options. I can't yeah. continue to do this. And what I've also found is sometimes you'll be with a group of people that are all kind of operating in one way. And when you switch to go a very different direction, some of those people fall away. Mm you know, they're, they're no longer in alignment with who you are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, mm -hmm. but things change. And mm -hmm. it's more, like you said, I think it's very important to have that authenticity and to be in alignment with who you are. I don't think it's wrong for people to be a big name. I think that works wonderfully for them. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't work wonderfully for me. Well, I admire you for for sticking to what feels right. And I'm sure, you know, I agree. I agree with um, your desire and your mission to bridge that gap and bring something like this to the average person and, and introduce them. Because, yeah, it's, um, you know, I remember when I was first looking for someone to communicate with my animals, I've had many sessions done in the past. I had no idea where to start. First of all, like it was like a Google search, you know, how do I, how do I find someone that um, can do this? And then the other thing was, yeah, the price point was just, you know, it was not accessible. Um, so I think you, you really are uh, doing everyone a service by offering it in a way that's um, accessible to them. I I love talking to you about the multi animal households that you <laughs> that you do this with um just recently you you spoke to my animals and just to give everyone a little 
a little bit of context. We've had wildfires here recently, which I'm sure everyone has been hearing about uh, along the West Coast. So I live in Kelowna, British Columbia and Canada, and we've had some really bad wildfires recently. And um, just during that one week of chaos and trauma, um, my husband and I happened to be somewhere else traveling and we were away for a couple of weddings uh, while all of this was happening. So we were separated from our animals and, um, you know, they were in good hands. They were being looked after, but we weren't with them in Kelowna while Kelowna was on fire. And so it was very unsettling, very stressful, um, heartbreaking to not be with them and seeing that, you know, this fire is growing and we can't get back, you know, flights were canceled and we had no way of getting back into the city. Um, and so I have one day, you know, just randomly, I was like, wait, I got to ask Laura, let me ask Laura, you know, because I, I was so worried and stressed out. I couldn't focus. I couldn't be present. It was really hard to, you know, be with other people when I had my dogs, my cat, my fish on, on my mind. So, so very grateful, Laura, that you are in my life. Um, I reached out because I was like, you know, at the very least, even if we can't be with them, let me just see how they're doing. And, um, you know, of course, we were in touch with the sitter and everyone who's looking after them, but uh, I wanted to know how they were doing, you know, and I wanted to let them know that we haven't just disappeared, you know, because the plan was to come back much earlier. And now having, you know, been learning about animal communication and, and doing the work that I do, I work really hard to let them know what's happening, what's coming up, how long are we going to be gone for, who are you going to be staying with? And all of that went out the window. And not just that, but the day I left was when, you know, starting that day, they had to be indoors. They couldn't even be outside. So it's not just that we were away. It's also that the whole world, you know, their, the whole world had changed overnight and they couldn't be outside anymore. So anyways, I am so grateful, Laura, that you chatted with them and uh, just to let them know we're still here. We're coming back. We love you so much. And we're so, you know, sorry, we can't be there. Um such a blessing to be able to hear what they were saying back to you. But I would love for you to share a little bit about what that's like talking to and your approach in in talking to households that have more than one animal. And I think in previous conversations, you even said that sometimes people will ask you to speak to one particular animal about a certain health issue or behavioral issue or or something that's going on. Um, but some of the other household members want to chime in or sometimes it's helpful to to hear what they have to say so tell us what that's like talking to multiple animals what is your approach and what's it like to to get information from from different personalities it is really interesting and when I connect especially if there's a, a lot of animals in the household um I think the most I've ever done at one time is five um but I, I let them choose who would like to step forward first. Um, so I don't say, um, I've sorted you in this order and this is the order I'm going to go in. I like to let them choose who will go first. And that's, it normally is somebody who feels like they have 
something dire to say um, first, or it's just the loudest member in the household and they, they would like to be heard first. Um, somebody had once told me that um, when you talk to multiple animals that you have to constantly be engaging with all of them or one will get bored and leave. Okay. I have never found that to be the case. Um, and this is always the tricky thing. I think if somebody is learning animal communication, somebody might present something as a truth and that might be true for them, but you always have to figure out if that's true for you. So when I work with animals in a multi-animal household, I do try to go through them one at a time so that I don't have one talking over the other. Sometimes I'm asked to only talk to one animal in a household, but somebody, or they'll send me the picture and I'll realize maybe the animal is kind of anxious, or um, I've had this happen before where an animal is very anxious and I'm trying to get to the bottom of a health issue and they just keep talking in circles, kind of like a person with anxiety would, where you're like, mm -hmm. what are you saying? You know, mm -hmm. they're just kind of all over the place. And I've gone to another animal in the household to say, look, they're telling me these things. Can you help me understand what this means? Mm -hmm. And this actually became really helpful. I kind of learned this technique from my own animals because I had two animals with health issues at one time. And my dog, Chloe, would always say, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. It's okay. And my dog, Toby, would always say, no. That's not what's going on. And he would be very direct and say, she needs more pain medicine. She needs, you know, he would answer for her because she was very passive. And this is something that I kind of learned from them um, with working with multiple animals. Every once in a while, there is a question that has to be opened up to the household. Like maybe if something happened in the household, I've already talked to all of them. I have their feelings on general feelings. And then I want to come back to a question and I want them to all weigh in on, you know, tell me how so-and-so got out or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Then I can open it up for me when they switch over and people, you can pay attention to this in your own life. If you ever listen to a conversation between people, see if you can feel how the energy changes between people when they switch, like one person talks and then another person talks. Mm. It's very similar for me because I hear the voice in my head. So it's not like um, it's coming from this side of the room and then that side of the room. I just feel like an energetic shift between one animal or maybe how they talk is slightly different. Like this animal has kind of a gruff sound where this animal is very like soft and mousy. It's normally not to that drastic of an extreme, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I can feel, feel the shift. So I think if somebody is learning and they want to do multiple animals, I think the easiest way to start is to just do them back to back. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You don't necessarily have to have the conversation at the same time, but you'd be surprised if you've already had a conversation with both of them, 
you already know what they sound like. You already mm -hmm. know kind of general impressions. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can kind of start to feel the difference in how they they speak or come across, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, of course, it was a really emotionally charged conversation to listen to for me. But it's just always such a pleasure and so much fun to hear what they have to say. <laughs> They're such different personalities. And it's just so interesting as their human companion, you know, sharing their life with them, living the same household to have a, a voice, you know, associated with what I see and uh, experience with them physically every day. You know, we talked about this at the beginning about how animals can be very philosophical and have a lot of profound things to share with us. You and I have talked about, and I've, you know, heard and learned a lot about this, about how animals can take on very specific roles and responsibilities in their households or with their relationships with their human companions and, and other animal companions. Can you tell us about um, how that happens? I know in, in your conversation with with the animals I live with, um, Fiona, our cat, I think was very adamant about being, you know, the schedule keeper and um, keeping the house moving and all of that. So tell us a little bit about what you've encountered in the past with your conversations. Like how do how do these roles and responsibilities come about? Are these they already know that they know that they have these responsibilities or these things that they want to do. And then, you know, also when they pass, you know, are those responsibilities passed along to another member? Yeah, I can give you an example kind of using uh, my current situation. So our dog, Olive, was the schedule keeper. She was also my keeper in the house, which I get distracted very easily and Olive was aware of that. So she would always keep me on schedule. And the thing to know about Olive is she suffered a vestibular tax. So for the last year of her life, she never drank water. So she ate every two hours and she knew the schedule because she had to eat her water. She knew that schedule. And because she always felt that if we had that schedule, it kept me on task. So that's why she really enforced the schedule. When Olive passed away, she passed that responsibility to my dog, Lily Beans, because Lily Beans is essentially my sidekick. She's with me all the time. Um, and now she gets us up at 4.30 in the morning because that is when the day is supposed to start um, by their account. But it's interesting, we have other dogs that we have one that is the yard manager. Um, so he is very, he's large, he's very loud, he's a coonhound. So he announces if anybody is even close to the fence. That's his whole job and his whole purpose. He takes it very seriously um, that he's managing this. And this is something where I think it's important to understand how things you do in your household can change their responsibilities. One of my dogs had told me that my yard was boring. So I extended, I know it was already two acres. I extended the yard to make it a full five acres. And I thought, good, I've done exactly what they've asked me to do. And Charlie, our yard manager became so anxious. And I thought, what in the heck? Like I did 
what mm-hmm. they wanted me to, but I doubled his workload. Mm. And it took him a long time. He finally brought my dog, Jubes, on board to help him. And it's it's really interesting how they work this out amongst themselves. Animals aren't like people where they say, well, you know, we'll try them in this position and see how they do. If you're not qualified, you're not in. You know, they don't make exceptions for the rules. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um And this becomes a problem you'll see, and we have it in our household. We have a Corgi who's very short, obviously, and Mm -hmm. Charlie, our yard manager, who's very tall. Mm -hmm. And Bubba would like to be tall like Charlie. And that causes some conflict because he would like to be in charge of what Charlie is in charge of. Mm. But the pack will not allow him to take that position because he's too unstable Mm. and so there's you know so there's not like too bad you know you don't you don't get in so we've had to find him some other things to be in charge of to kind of appease that and there's there's certain things that we understand um like if he has to leave the home to get a haircut because he can manage the inside of the home if he has to leave the home to get a haircut, it just derails him because he has left his duties, essentially. And so we have to kind of reintroduce him to the home. So otherwise, all the dogs block him, it overwhelms him, and he's just trying to get back to what he was doing. Um, So we've kind of had to navigate that a little bit where we hand out treats when he gets back so he can just kind of slide back into his role without getting overwhelmed by all the other dogs. So sometimes this is also important because people will have a horse that gets old and they think, oh, they're they're gonna love to be retired, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And not everyone wants to retire. Mm-hmm. You know? So sometimes that can be very detrimental uh, for horses, especially if they've been an intense athlete their whole life. They've been in competition and now they're just retired. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They want something to do, and it might not be what they always did, mm-hmm. but they they want a task mm-hmm. to do. It gives them purpose. Yeah. So fascinating, and probably has so much to do with um, also, you know, any conflicts or issues. You know, whether it's between the members of the households, like between the animals or the animals and the human, right? Um, understanding what they see their roles as is is probably so critical mm-hmm. to to a lot of conversations because I've had situations where maybe a younger member had to take over the household because an older member of the household doesn't really think this is an important job okay you know And that causes some conflict because the younger member of the household maybe didn't want that responsibility, but there's no one to take it. Mm -hmm. So they have no choice but to take that role because it can't just fall by the wayside. It has to be taken on, Mm -hmm. but they're a little upset that, you know, the other one isn't contributing Mm -hmm. the way they should. And so there is those conflicts that are similar to somebody might have on a job, 
you know, like I do all the work, this person sits here, they seem to get all the credit, you know, similar, (laughs) similar Mm -hmm. situation that comes up. And a lot of times, it's interesting, there's a lot of cats that watch over a household, Mm -hmm. or protect a household. And sometimes people are like, what do you mean by protect? Because we always think of protection as being a form of aggression, Mm -hmm. or, but there's really watching over the people, you know, protecting emotions there's a lot of different ways that that can happen and it seems like cats really take that role very seriously as well yeah I I hope I wish that you know more people can have this kind of level of understanding or way of seeing um, the dynamics in their homes really gives you an appreciation for all that happens in a household um, that's not revolving around the humans you know there's a lot going on otherwise too so in your household um I don't know if we mentioned how many how many animals do you live with Laura I have six dogs now yeah Yeah. so what's that like being able to communicate with them and what's it like for you walking amongst you know a a fellow human and then six dogs (laughs) I think for me a lot of times my husband will say I don't know what they're doing and then I'll say this is all this is all it is you know what I mean? And I'll kind of do the interpretation. I don't want to give the impression that I'm a strong leader by any means. In fact, I think I'm kind of on their level. We're, we're almost the same in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And mm-hmm. so I don't really, I don't really view myself as being above them or below them. I really think we're all on the same mm-hmm. level. And I find a lot of times they will come find me if they have something to say. Okay. So sometimes I'll tell my husband, oh, they woke me up in the middle of the night, you know, or whatever, because they had something that was bothering them. But I think for me, the thing that has been super, super helpful with my animals is sometimes I will, I've had a lot of health issues with my animals. And sometimes I will take them to the vet and I will get a diagnosis or I will get some sort of prognosis and I'll bring them home and they'll tell me something very different. And then I'll be like, Oh, okay. You know? um, So I think something that has been very helpful that's come from my animals is when they've had health issues, because I used to be type A and I used to want to control everything the thing that I've learned with working with them is to let go of the things I can't control Mm. and to only focus on the things I think I can change and sometimes that's nutrition you know sometimes it's adding a supplement you know starting a new form of therapy I always this is the thing that I think has come from them is I've met people that really focus on holistic medicine or homeopathic or herbal, and I don't really have a preference. Mm -hmm. I wait for them to tell me what they would like to do. And I think even with um, procedures or things that come up, we talk about all of that. You know, this is what they're telling me would happen. Is this something that you would like to do? And I, I like to give them the choice. So an example would be um, my dog Brody suffered a really unfortunate accident to his salivary gland. 
and it kept infiltrating, getting really swollen, and he kept going on antibiotics. And the vet had said, one more time on antibiotics, he's going to need surgery. And it was going to be like $15,000. It wasn't like a small surgery. And so um, I talked to Brody and kind of explained, this is the surgery they're going to do. He was really concerned his mouth would be dry, but then he shared some very specific symptoms where he had kind of dry skin and he felt like a little bit constipated. And I was like, oh, you need more moisture. And we switched his nutrition over to give him a lot of moisture and he never needed the surgery. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so a lot of little things like, not little things, but things like that where they're able to kind of direct me as to where they need to go um, has been been very, very helpful. Because I think whenever you have health issues, and I think people will understand this, it's a constant moving target. Mm -hmm. You get one thing under control, something else pops up, you deal with that for a while, something else moves. And I think beyond that, we rescue um, a lot of dogs. And our most recent rescue um, was used as a, a breeder. She came from a very bad place um, and had never lived in a home. And so just being able to have the conversations with her about what is fearful to her, what does she need? And that doesn't mean that the change comes quickly. I think this mm -hmm. is tricky for people um, to understand, especially if you know, they see an animal hurting, especially emotionally, but there's, they have to make the conscious decision to change. We can't force them to change. We just have to put right. things in place for them. And she's gotten so much better. She is still very much attached to me, um, but she's gotten so much better and so much more um, independent. In, in how she navigates because I can have those conversations with her and mm -hmm. kind of accommodate her in the moment. So I think there's, I mean, even just day-to-day -day things like Charlie wants me to move a dish so he can lick it in the sink and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like really weird random stuff, but just being able to hear them um, is very, very helpful. I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. You said that like, you don't, you know, necessarily see yourself as a leader, you see, you know, there's no above or below. I think that's one of the really big things that um, animal communication, learning about this whole world and understanding animals better has done for me, because, you know, just like we would ask a human member of our household mm -hmm. what they would like to do, and they have, you know, agency, they, they can make choices, and they can make decisions. Um, I see them now the same way, you know, like we are all members of this household. Um, you know, as humans, we have certain responsibilities and we have a certain role to play in the household and in their lives, but they are not necessarily any more or less than that, you know, and so we're living this life together and it's just become so important to me to involve them with all the decision-making, you know, and especially when it comes to healthcare and Mm -hmm. health and well-being is um they have opinions and they have needs and they have you know if we can involve them in that um you know I I would love to see 
one day, um, you know, more and more people involving animal communicators in, in decision-making when it comes to, you know, um, veterinary care. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as, as allies, you know, not as anyone overstepping anyone's qualifications or, no, um, absolutely not. Yeah, like there is a place for everything, but just having the involvement of the animal and even, you know, asking questions about where they're feeling pain or mm-hmm. like how they're feeling, like you said, um, you know, if there's if they're feeling dry, dryness or anything like that, it's just um it can add so much, I think, to the conversation when we're talking about issues that they're going through. Yeah. For sure. Um you know, the animals in my life have been such huge teachers for me, guides for me. Um, you know, I think you and I have talked a lot about how they play that role in your life. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how they show up in your life as teachers? Yeah, I think, you know, Toby and Chloe, um, they passed um, a couple years ago together. Um, that was their wish. And they were very, um, they were very present for me to getting to a point where I was professional. And I knew for them, once I reached that point that they would leave me. And I actually, Toby actually fell very ill the night after I did my first professional communication. And so he just got me to that point And then about a week later, um, him and Chloe passed together. Very interesting situation. They were born within four days of each other, both in Iowa, um, in different households. They both came to me in different ways, Um, but they had always lived like a married couple and they had wanted to to pass um, together. And then Olive most recently passed the beginning of July and she stayed with me until I switched gears until I switched to a point where I was like I think this is more authentic this is more the way I'm supposed to be working um and I kind of knew with her too once I switched it was it was only a matter of time um and Olive was very direct like she if you kind of imagine someone who's kind of bossy and really to the point, uh, that was, that was very her. She didn't mince Mm -hmm. words. Um, you know, a lot of times I'd be stressed out about things and she'd be like, well, I don't know what we're doing here. You know, I don't know why, (laughs) you know, and she would just be like very like frustrated and to the point about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's an easier way to do this. I'm not sure why you keep doing this, you know, and was kind of pushing me in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that I work with, especially on end of life cases, where they realize like their life has changed. Like maybe they're in a better place now than mm-hmm. they were before. And something, there's some sort of transition coming and the animal is now like, they're okay. I can go mm-hmm. now. And that's very much how my animals showed up for me and they kind of almost had because their health was so bad I really focused on them and because I did 
then the communication came directly from them because my focus was a hundred percent on them at that moment. And that's when they were really teaching me mm -hmm. because the health issues were going on and I had to focus on them. And what I've noticed is now that Olive has passed, she was very dominant personality in the household. There's this shift in balance with all my other dogs teaching me almost equally mm -hmm. in a very different way where they're kind of using their personality as a way to guide me rather than having one dominant personality overshadowing everybody else. And that's been a really learning experience for me too, because I'm learning them in a new way that I never knew them before because Olive was so present in the household. Um, and so just being able to learn them with them in a deeper personality or a deeper relationship has been also very, very telling, um, a kind of about the next stages I feel of, of my growth as well too. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think, I think most of us can probably, you know, pause for a moment and think about that. Um, thinking about the animals in our lives and when did they come in? What are they here to mm -hmm. help us with? What are they here to teach us? And which of those, you know, life transitions or big moments are they present with us and helping us through? Um, it's just, it's just interesting to think about there's a story behind each relationship. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to share with our audience? You know, we've talked so much today about all these interesting nuances of your journey and what you do and what you experience day to day. Is there anything that you would like to share with people who are listening about communicating with animals about their own relationships um any any big takeaways that you you've experienced in your life I think for me if you would have told me that I would have been on a podcast talking about animal communication I would have never believed you especially <laughs> yeah. especially when I started same here you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> I thought it was so I thought it was so tricky and now upon reflection I realized I got in my own way mm -hmm. a lot of times and I think if it's something that you're really interested in you're really passionate about just give it a try honestly and mm -hmm. and, tr and try to explore it with a feeling of of curiosity and almost like wonderment of what you can learn and not trying to be perfect mm -hmm. I yeah. think that that perfectionism and the comparing to others can be very detrimental when you're learning. And I, I almost wish I would have done this differently. Like I wish mm -hmm. I would have been more curious and less critical of myself when I was learning. And if I didn't get something right, could I have looked at it and said, maybe the person doesn't remember you know, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. I wonder how I could have asked this question differently. Maybe mm -hmm. I would have gotten a different answer mm -hmm. rather than, than beating myself up about it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I think there is so much room in the world for more animal communicators. And I think that really changes, changes everything when you have people that understand them at a very deeper level. So I hope that more people pursue this I really do mm -hmm. 
Yeah, same here. And I think also adding to that list that you were talking about just now is like that need for validation, Mm -hmm. I think is also huge. I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday who said after the symposium, she gave it a try. She, I can't remember who she was. I think it was like the squirrels in her, in her yard that were, um, you know, kind of, as she described it, like attacking and ruining her vegetable garden, something like that. And so she tried it she gave it a try and she's like, I'm not sure if it worked, but you know, this was actually, it ended up being a pretty good summer. Like it actually, you know, I, and she's like, I don't know if it was a coincidence or if, if I was able to communicate and I was like, just take it as a win, you know, like we, you may not ever get that validation, right. Especially when we're not, especially if we're not communicating with someone else's animal and then they Mm -hmm. can validate certain things for us when we're doing it on our own and just learning, I think we have to really trust that uh, with the sincerity and authenticity and the intentions that we're going into that connection and communication with that they'll receive the message, you know, and that the exchange is there, it's happening. So that's been a big one for me is, um, you know, I think we're just so used to it, (laughs) wanting that validation but when we're talking about something so abstract, um, you know, we may not always get that. So just trusting that it's yeah. happening, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for sharing so much thank with you. us. And um, we'll share your information so that people uh, know where to find you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly. Yeah, thank you. It was I'm glad we finally got to do this and I hope uh, listeners can walk away feeling curious about this. You know, we can all spend some time thinking about why it's important for us in our own lives to connect with our animals in a deeper way. And it's definitely given me an appreciation and and deep respect for all the animals in the world. Um, There's a lot more to them than I think the, the average person probably realizes. So absolutely. So thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in today. And before we go, we'd like to share a brief blessing for the animals. We'd like to end this podcast by taking just a moment to be quiet. And we give thanks and blessings to these amazing animals that we share our lives with. They give us so much and ask for so little in return. We hope that you can keep the animals and all living beings in your heart and in your mind as you go about your day. Thank you so much for being here with us today.